Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 316 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Veronica Holyoke. Veronica lives in South Jordan, Utah, where she is an elementary assistant principal. Welcome, Veronica. Hi, Jen. How are you? I am doing great, and I love to talk to all educators, past, present, and future. (laughs) I know. Me too. I'm so excited to be here. What was your favorite grade to teach when you were in the classroom? Fifth grade. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yes, because they're so independent, Yeah, but they're still kids. They are. I was scared of fifth graders for a while until uh, <laughs> I got a little older and more confident. Fifth graders are a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with some fifth graders. I used to be afraid of first graders, but now I'm not. First graders are a little scary to me. I have less experience, and kindergarten's terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
But, you know, now I'm scared of eighth grade. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, once you get to know those kids, you're like, they're just big kids too. They're just big babies. Bigger babies, yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Yes, I have been listening to you for such a long time. Like everybody, I have the long story and the short story. The short story is I was introduced to it by my doctor on something like July 8th, 2019. The long story is, and there's a lot, so I'm sorry if there's a lot to this story. Well, we like a lot. That's why we're here. We're here to hear the whole lot. (laughs) But I love that your doctor mentioned it. That always makes me super excited. You know, she's changed my life in so many different ways. So anyway, we'll get to that too. Okay. So I'm 46 years old. And even though I live in Utah, I was born south of Buffalo, New York, and I lived in kind of a farming community. And I grew up basically like shuttling on the weekends between both farms, lots of cousins, lots of family around. And my family are very interesting. I love to look at behaviorism in terms of human behaviorism. So even from a young age, I remember noticing like, oh, I had some cousins that were tall and thin and tan and gorgeously model-esque. And then I had some that were morbidly obese. And I just noticed that and always was like, well, where do I fall? And it was a really great shock when I realized I wasn't the tall, brunette, skinny model type. You know, it's funny that you say that. I remember my stepfather, I was in, I don't know, maybe 12 years old. And, you know, I always had watched my mother struggle with her thighs, right? You know, her pear shape. She was a dance teacher, so she always talked about it. But I remember my stepfather said, I'm going through puberty. And he said, you're going to be built just like your mother. And I was like offended by that. I'm like, what? No, I'm not. I'm skinny, skinny, skinny. Well, he was right. Thank you, genetics. Yes, (laughs) I know. I know. And I don't look anything like my parents and I don't look anything like my siblings. They both are brunettes and and things. But I, I remember being very empathetic to my cousins that were morbidly obese. And so every time my my aunts would reprimand them on what they were eating, I kind of took it personally. So I watched this diet mentality, you know, from a very young age. And then my mom, even though at the time I was mad at her, she never let us eat Oreos or anything processed. And now I'm like, oh, darn it, she was right. <laughs> I always wanted the bad foods and I was always hungry, but I was never obese as a kid. That didn't come until later when I was older. So when I was 14, we were living in New York state and my dad was hired for at General Electric or GE in Massachusetts. So we made the move. I didn't want to move. I was really close with my family and my friends in the small little town, but we had to go. And this is where it kind of, the story takes a curve. So we were living in Acton, Boxborough, Massachusetts. And my mom grew up and lived on the farm her basically her whole life. And when we were thrust into Massachusetts, all of a sudden she starts having these memories of being severely abused by her great, great uncle. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. It was really intense. And so, and it was really sudden. I mean, it was almost like she was removed from New York where we grew up and the memories started flooding back and she had repressed them all. And she now is, the clinical term is dissociative identity disorder, but it's multiple personality. So that was when I was 14. Oh my and gosh. I ha- yeah. And I have an older brother and a younger sister. And we were just without family, without friends. So I kind of all of a sudden became the caregiver for my dad and my brother and my sister and my mom. And I started learning how to cook and bake. And that was a really hard time. So that was probably the first time 
I really ever took to emotional eating was when I can't that even imagine. Started. You know, I think most of us have just only heard of multiple personality disorder, but that has got to be terrifying for your family because oh, yeah. you know your mom just all of a sudden changed. This was the trigger moving away from the place where she felt safe and she had developed these safe routines. Now she's somewhere else. The safety's gone, and now she remembers all the past. And then wow. Yeah. I can't imagine yeah. how scary that was for 14-year-old you. I know. I know. I'm much better. My sister still has a really hard time with the memories of that time. But I mean, I do too, but I just I try my best to hide it. I think that's also why I'm an assistant principal because I understand taking care of situations and things and people in a global setting. Anyway, yeah, my mom, we had this, my sister and I, for years, we we were on suicide watch and oh, we gosh. would hide the knives and we would hide the scissors. And we would, if we were on the ocean and we were on the side of a cliff, one of us would always be cliffside so that we could, I don't know what we were going to do, catch her if she jumped, but, but that was what we kind of grew up. So we grew up really fast. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at photos, that was in the nineties. When I look back at photos of all of us, I mean, we, we got heavier as the years went on. So I started high school maybe as a size eight. And then by the time I graduated, I was a good 16, 18. Every single year I had to go back and get buy new clothes. And that was hard because we are also maybe year two of being there. We were, we had to become estranged from family because my family, my parents' family, well, my dad's side was super supportive, but my mom's side didn't necessarily believe her. It took them a long time. So we weren't allowed to go back and visit. So it was lonely. Oh. I can only imagine how it would be hard to, because like, you're like, why didn't you mention this all before? Uh-huh. Yeah. But you're like, yeah. well, because I was repressing it. Right? I didn't and remember it. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Hard for everybody. Hard, hard, hard. So then when I started college and that was a nice breath of fresh air because I moved a couple hours away from where my parents were living, I didn't want to go. I mean, there were such mental anguish for my sister and I that I was afraid to leave my mom. And my mom literally drove me to the college, dropped me off and said, you're saying so deal with it. And it was a good thing for me. So I, I I had to walk everywhere and I was able to lose all of the weight that I put on in high school. And then I was there for three years. This was the university of Massachusetts in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, which is on the coast of Massachusetts near Cape Cod. Then at the end of that time, my dad was transferred to Bangor, Maine to the GE plant up there. And my mom was still really, really sick. We knew every mental hospital from Boston to Maine. I mean, cause she was just always in and out of long-term stays at the hospitals. And so my sister and I knew that, well, we didn't know, but we were really worried that she just wouldn't survive the move on her own. My brother was older, had moved out. And again, it was just the two of them moving. So we left the university of Massachusetts cause my sister came with me and moved up with mom and dad to take care of her. And at that point, she was super duper sick. She had completely stopped working. She had been a university professor of nursing and pediatrics. She had to quit all of it. So we moved up there just to take care of her. And Maine is beautiful, but it's remote. And once again, we were moved. And now we're even further from family. And so again, just took to eating. And so put on the weight again at that point in time. My then boyfriend turned husband, now ex-husband, moved north with me. <laughs> so you met him in college? Uh-huh. Yeah. I met him when I was 
20 and he was like the escape that I shouldn't have escaped. Oh, to, I get but it. I did, yeah. You know, I yes. did. He was a bad boy and I shouldn't have followed him, but I did. So anyway, <laughs> so he, he moved north with us and he, he put on lots of weight too when we moved to Maine. I mean, we just all did. We all just ballooned. And I went into education and got my degree, was really sick with a lot of physical problems myself. I attribute it to all the mental strain oh, yeah, that my stress. family was under. Like mm-hmm. the fact that when you went off to college, you lost the weight <laughs> shows that, the weight. that it yeah. was so you're, you were under so much stress at home because most people go to college and gain weight, <laughs> right? But right, your body right, was like, right, right. oh, I can relax now. So you lost it. So you were under so much stress. I can't even imagine. I really wrestled with even coming on this podcast because I don't ever tell people about it because I think they'll think I'm being dramatic or I don't oh know, no because it's no. a lot it's well, so many things you know we've all seen the movies or read the books when uh-huh. someone has multiple personality disorder and it is just like shocking and unbelievable and and to be living it and having to care for your mom and not knowing I probably which mom you were going to get from time to time. Yeah. And you could tell when she was what's called, we call it switching. I mean, you could tell we got really good at anticipating it and like, we can't go to loud restaurants and there's all these different things. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Go down that road. Okay. So now it's 1999. My ex-husband and I, we got married in Maine and we started trying to have kids right away. I had always had really terrible periods And then at this point, when we tried to start getting pregnant, we just weren't successful. So I started going to doctors and I spent probably the next, I don't know, 15 years or so trying to get doctors to listen to me that I was having really painful periods. Even in high school, I had really terrible periods. I couldn't wear tampons. I mean, it was just terrible. And they got worse the older I got. So we never, ever got pregnant and then couldn't find a doctor to believe in me. And then one random day, 2006, my husband left the marriage. That was interesting. I was really, I had gotten back up to like size 16, 18 again. And then the divorce diet really worked for me. Yeah. People do one or the other. They either gain a lot or lose a lot, Mm -hmm. right? So you lost. Lost a ton. Oh my gosh. I got down. I've never been so small. I was like 128 pounds and I'm five foot six. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so then a year later, I met my current husband, who I'm very happily married to now. And it was interesting because he also has, this is interesting. You'll, you'll find this interesting as a scientist. And maybe you've heard of this, or science lover. Right. Are you a scientist? You're well, kind of a scientist. I'm a science you know, lover. I have a master's degree in natural sciences, and I love teaching science. So, okay. You're a science <laughs> of teaching, right? Yeah. 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 So he has Cartagener syndrome, which is where your organs, you're born with the organs on the opposite side of your body. Oh, wow. And I know. So like his heart isn't on this side. I've heard of it. It's on the other side. Yeah. So one of the side effects is your body doesn't produce cilia, which is what cleans out your sinuses and your lungs. So he always has a cough, but it's also what propels sperm forward. So we kind of bonded over this sense of like, I knew, although I didn't know what my problems were, you know, we bonded over our infertility. So anyway, so we got married and then I didn't really put on much weight. I maybe put on like 10 pounds when we got married, but I was super happy. We were living in Northern Maine, two hours North of my parents on the Canadian Maine border and super happy, peaceful, peaceful existence for five years. And then we tried to conceive. I didn't know at that point what my problems were, but again, I didn't, 
I didn't find a good doctor until 2010, 2010. And I started my fertility journey in 1999. And by then it was too late. The doctor in 2010, they did exploratory surgery. They found endometriosis and, you know, they uh, laser removed it in the hopes that I would get pregnant. And then they put me on this evil medication called Lupron. I think a couple of other of your guests have talked about. It's a shot that they give you to shut down. Yeah. And you go into fake menopause to try to kill the endometriosis. But it was just, I mean, I don't remember half of that year because it was such a dark medication. That sounds hard. And if they'd have found the endometriosis earlier, they could have done something then. They could have, except I had other issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, theoretically, maybe if I had been in my 20s, maybe. Then the Lupron did not, so I had, that's a three months shot. And then three months later I had the next shot. So you could take two back to back. So it was a six month time period, but my periods did not start up again naturally after that, which should have been another indication that something was going on hormonally. Yeah. I had to get on a medication that following July and I had had the Lupron shot, I think the previous October. So it was a long time. And then even then I was like two months before my period started then they were just, it was every month on the floor, vomiting, oh, throwing up. Yeah. Pain. I mean, pain. And I still, it was still such a struggle. And then in 2012, I, I just was having episodes in the classroom and you can't collapse. In the no, classroom you cannot. And pass out. You have you to can't. like smile through it all. <laughs> yeah. You can't. No. Yeah. It's not good. No. So I had a couple of those and then um, I kind of had, oh, sorry, dog bark. Yeah, I'm just going to say, everybody, you might hear a dog bark, and that is all right. It's no no problem at all, because most of us have pets, right? There were times yeah. Ellie ran and dropped lizards at my feet. So everybody, if we hear a dog, it's all right. <laughs> she sounds really ferocious, but she's sweet. So 2012 comes around. 2012, yeah, February 1st, 2012, I had my partial hysterectomy. That was a sad thing because that was like the end of my fertility. You knew there was no chance of carrying a baby at that point. And you'd, you'd held out hope, but then no and I more. did. Yeah. And I was in my 30s at that point. And the doctors biopsied it and it had adenomyosis. So that's where your little interior lining of your uterus grows everywhere around oh. your uterus. Yeah. So that I would never have been able to carry a baby. And I don't know at what point I got that. Usually that is, the doctors told me that usually that's something that women get when they have a C-section and their uterus is cut, but mine never was. So I don't, I have no idea. I I don't know. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES promo code IFSTORIES10. 
If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. And I'm going to back up just a a bit. In 2009, my husband and I had tried to adopt a baby through the main foster care system. And we really waited. We held out. We wanted the right scenario because we really wanted to go through the process and not just be foster parents, but adopt. And we were finally placed in 2009. We were placed with a 13-month-old. And we were told that parental rights had been terminated and that they had done an extensive family search and all of the things. And then... About two weeks into her being in our care, they told us that they found biological family and that we were going to have to give her back. And so we didn't have her long, but that was super traumatic. And that plays into my weight gain later. I can't even imagine how hard that would be because you're like, all right, we've got this baby. Two weeks is long enough to bond. Uh, I know. Yeah, it was. That was a really rough, really, really terrible time also. And I didn't, again, I didn't necessarily gain weight, but once I started having the first surgery in 2010, I had six surgeries following losing our foster daughter. And there were six in six school years. And if you're a teacher, you measure your life in school years, not, you know, 12 month calendar, but in six school years. So the first one, 2010, then the second one in 2012. And then my husband and I had randomly found Utah on a business trip for my husband the previous year. And we were like, okay, you know, we can't have children. Let's just move somewhere in the country. Mom was stable enough that I could leave Maine and, you know, let's just set out for ourselves and do something independent for ourselves. So after my hysterectomy in February of 2012, that following summer, we moved to Utah and have lived here independently for a few years. Now, my family actually now live here, but okay, that's another, I know that's another story. So we move here. And then in October of 2012, I started having the same pain again that I was having. And I was like, wait, I don't have any parts. How is this possible? But the endometriosis came back and blew up my left ovary. And so I had that removed, trying to hold on to my hormones. And then the following school year, the right one blew up. Yeah. And then now I was into forced menopause. Full on menopause. Full on. And nobody tells you that how horrible it's going to be or that you're going to go through like heroin, like withdrawals. Yeah. I remember calling my doctor like a week afterwards and being like, I'm dying. And he goes, Oh yeah, that, I should have told you, uh, this is, you're having heroin with like, Oh, oh thanks. For yeah. Me. yeah I, we, we, you know? we really just don't know. You know, I, I talk, um, Sherry and I talked to Tabitha Barber. She's an OBGYN for life lessons. And she told us something shocking. Most OBGYNs are not hormone experts. 
They're surgeons. Yeah. They're there right. to like cut out your uterus, cut out your ovaries, but they don't really, it's the hormones are more of a mystery to a lot of them. I was like, yes. what? Yeah. Although they, they help women get pregnant with hormones, right? right so right. I don't know. Yeah. But why don't we have this? I don't know. The understanding of, of it's like, they understand that part of it if they're fertility experts, but then on the other side of menopause, it's like, all right, now you're done. Go, go live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after my third surgery, which was the left ovary, I really started to mentally break down at this point because just so many years of grief and loss was just, every time I had to have another surgery, I just would break down and my hormones were just such a mess. And so I did start to put the weight on. So when Brian and I got married, I was again in, in 2007, I was 128 pounds. And by the time I had my third surgery, you know, I was probably like 155 or so not terrible, but I also wasn't healthy at all. Like not even a little bit. So then my, I go into forced menopause and that was horrible. That was just, that was terrible. And then I started having hot flashes and they were terrible. And then my gallbladder died. Of course it did. Cause it was right. like, you know what? <laughs> we just can't. Wait, how many more organs stress. are in there? They could. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. So was, yeah. So oh, that was no. probably a lot of pain. That was a lot of pain. Yep, yep, yep. And then once that was removed, I did feel better, actually. Oh, yeah. The, before my gallbladder, though, I forgot that I had cervical cancer. Oh, so, no. <laughs> I know. In addition, this is why I don't tell people my story because it's like, I just sound like I'm making this up, but I'm really not. It's really did happen. No, I believe you because, you know, you had some stuff going on that mm-hmm. was sending your body into like a tailspin. Yeah. Just yeah. all around in there. So cervical cancer. Cervical cancer. So I was at my six-month follow-up from the right ovary dying and being removed that my doctor was like, let's do a pap smear. And I was like, are you crazy? Why? I don't have anything left. I forgot about the cervix. Yeah. But it was a good thing that he did because that's where they found the tumor. And so then I had that removed. Then the gallbladder. And then I had period of no surgeries for a little while. And then it was all about how do I heal Right. And one of my strategies was through food because we couldn't have a child. We tried after my last surgery, we tried to start going down the foster care road again and trying to go through private adoption here in Utah. And I just could never kind of cross the finish line and do it. And so that was really hard. And when you work as a school teacher, it's hard. It's it is. really hard. Because you know, you're with you kids just, and you imagine uh, yourself you in the role kids. of the parent. I yes. get it. Yeah. Yeah. So hard. So you were wanting to heal yourself through food. Wanting to heal myself through food. Now it's 2014 and I was on norenthendrome, I think is what it's called, the fake estrogen Okay. that my OB had put me on because of the menopausal symptoms. And I knew it wasn't enough because you've talked about some of these issues before right. you know, with female issues that you just are like, what is happening? You probably was having sleeping. You know, no, yeah. no. Thinning skin. My skin was thin yes. like I was 80, you know? Yeah. And again, nobody talks about that stuff. So I went to my OB and I said, I don't think that the drum is enough. And he had had a nurse practitioner that had left his practice and opened her own private practice across the hall. So he referred me to her and that's when I started bioidentical hormone therapy. And oh my gosh, it's like the fountain of youth time machine. Oh, 
I mean, it really is. That's what got me started. My friend Tabitha Barber that I talked about a minute ago, she and I are in one of the, a community together of, of health and wellness professionals. And in Utah, I was actually, we were in, yeah. no, where were we? Utah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were in Park City. We were in Utah. Park City. And she uh-huh. told me all, right there on the street, she said, you are going to start aging if you don't start bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And that's what got me going. But I spent the weekend with four of my girlfriends from college. They're all a year older than me because I was younger. <laughs> I skipped a grade, <laughs> so I was always a year younger than everybody else. But I'm explaining to them about bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and all the different things that they, they're like, yeah, that's happening to me. That's happening to me. I'm like, I promise you. And one of my, my good friends, her doctor's like, oh, you don't need it. But then she starts talking about how her cholesterol suddenly gone up like crazy. I'm like, that's your hormones. Hormones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Once again, why don't we have, okay. So young people go into doctor, become a medical doctor that just deals with advanced women's issues. Functional, you you need need a functional medicine doctor because, you know, yes. Understanding that it, female hormones don't just affect your reproductive zone, you know, no. they affect the way your whole body functions, like your skin and your cholesterol and your blood sugar control. And understanding that is just really makes the difference. That's why people go from traditional medicine and then they become functional medicine practitioners because they realize that they're not helping and they want to get to the root of the problem. So I'm glad that it felt like the fountain of youth for you. Yeah. So, and I know, I don't think you have the pellets. I don't do you use do the, the pellets. Shot? No, I do the hormone patch. All the female OBGYN, the doctors in the functional medicine space that I know personally, they all use the patch. So I'm like, all right, whatever they're okay. doing, I'm going to do okay. that. And that's what Tabitha put me on. And also the progesterone pill, oral oh, progesterone. Yes. I do that as well. Yes, yes, yes. And that's super helpful with sleep. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I do the, the pellets. So they just cut me open and they insert it in my backside once every four months. I wish yep. it wasn't covered by insurance. So that's a bummer, but it's okay. It's so worth it. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started that in 2016 and that was just, again, a miracle. So then I go and see my, it's with a nurse practitioner, shout out to Mikkel Smith because she's the one who introduced me to you. So in 2019, I actually I know out. her name. <gasps> You do? I, I know who Mikkel, I know who she is. Because no back in the day, before Fast Feast Repeat came out, she bought copies of Delay, Don't Deny directly from me and gave them to her patients. Yes, oh, my God. One. So do you still see Mikkel? Oh, yeah. Yep. Tell her oh, I said yeah. hello. Long oh, time no here from. But, yeah, she bought Delay, Don't Deny directly from me prior to Fast Feast Repeat. And I would get them sent from Amazon to her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that I is so it. funny. I love this story. So you, you didn't, didn't know, know that. that. No. So no. We, she and I have emailed back and forth. That's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's great. I was at my pellet appointment in July of 2019, and I was like, Mikkel, I'm, I feel so much better, but I'm – I'm still putting on weight. And she goes, I have one more copy of this amazing book (laughs) (laughs) that I had sold to her. Yes. I'm doing this fabulous thing called intermittent fasting and I get to eat ice cream every day and I've lost all this weight. And it just, 
in a flash because she, I knew I believed in her because of the, the bioidentical hormone treatment. And she also put me on melatonin. And so I was sleeping much better, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do this too. So that is so funny. I it got your last great. copy that she you got ordered. It. But that I, well, I don't best. know if she ordered more. She may have more ordered more after that. I don't know. She, she ordered did. them several times, but I loved that she was giving them so out to patients. Funny. That's great. Definitely yeah. tell her I, I said hello. <laughs> I will. I will. I didn't tell her at my last appointment that I was going to be on the show because I hadn't quite decided if I was going to really do it or not, but I'll tell her. I'll tell her. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing it. Okay, so she handed it to you. You're like, all right, I trust you. I'm going to read this book. I was just a classroom teacher at that point, so I had the summer off. And so I went home and I read it. And then I also got Feast Without Fear. Is that your other one? Feast Without Fear was out. Yes. And then eventually later, Fast Feast Repeat, which I don't have my copy anymore because I keep giving it away. So I I went home and I read it and I was like, I kind of read between the lines and decided that I could dirty fast, which I know you're not (laughs) supposed to do, but I did. So it was hard at the beginning. Maybe, you know, like two weeks of that. And I started at something like a 16 hour fast is where I started because I, I never needed as much food as everybody else. I just never, I just haven't, I just don't, I don't eat breakfast. I don't, I've always known, like my dad is such a gigantic eater and he's tiny and I've always known I just, I'm genetically not related to him at all <laughs> in, in terms of that, you know, I right. that I didn't eat as much food. So anyway, so it worked. And then once I switched over to the clean fast, it was like such a miracle. I, still don't love black coffee. I would rather just have empty in the morning. Yeah. Actually, that's hot water in a mug coffee. for anybody who's not up on that lingo. M-T. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I crave it now too, which is oh, really interesting. You know? Yeah, actually. And if I have coffee with cream, I actually, I just have it in my eating window, which is fine. Totally. Which I know you've said a million times which, to do that. So it was a hard start at the same time because that same summer, my mom and my dad and my sister and her family all moved to Utah. And my husband and I, we were building our basement so that my sister could live with us for a short time. And then the pandemic hit and she still lives with us and that's fine. (laughs) And my parents live, you know, like 10 minute walk from our house. So that was a bit of a stressful, I think if they hadn't moved here, I think I could have taken it quicker. It took me a little while to get started. But then that school year, that following school year started, and then it just and that was, was the so infamous easy nineteen oh, but yeah. to twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, were you still a classroom teacher at that time? I was. Yes. Okay. I was teaching fifth grade. Okay. You found that when the school year started back, it was easier than being at home so with your easier. family. Yeah. I agree with that. Yes. In fact, I think it was really helpful for me because it set up my pattern, and I think I pro- maybe would have struggled longer. I don't know. But all of a sudden. Because I didn't eat lunch anyway. I was one of those teachers that just worked through lunch, and I didn't need that time in the faculty room anymore. I did in the beginning, but at this point, I'm older now, and I don't need that time. So it was fine. And then that year, I I would maybe break my fast pretty much as soon as the students left the classroom, so like 3.45 or so. And and by that time, I was up to maybe like a 19-hour fast and a five-hour eating window, And did great with it. And the weight just melted off. I was not fully transitioned into, although it's hard to tell having gone into forced menopause, I know I wasn't fully into menopause. So at that point, it was still pretty easy to lose the weight. And my taste buds changed pretty quickly. Almost immediately, I knew I was craving vegetables and 
I could totally be a vegetarian if I was not married. Oh my gosh. Yeah, me totally too. Without Absolutely. Sometimes child will be, I will go like a bunch of days in a row with no meat. He's like, I wish I had some chicken. I'm like, well, I don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, yeah. I, yeah. And then COVID happened. Oh, and so in that school year, my principal asked me if I would leave the classroom, which was so hard and become the school's instructional coach. So that was a bit of a transition. And I did when we went online and March, February, March of 2020, I didn't have a classroom to have to teach online. So I actually had a really easy, sorry, everybody. Oh, no, um, I know. I can only imagine now. It, you're just trying to help everyone else adapt. I was just trying that to help was your job. Else. That was a much better job, job than being the one that had to yes. adapt. Yeah. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I loved for the first time ever being able to be at home. Oh my gosh, this was like a dream. And my sister was here living with me. So I wasn't lonely or anything. So I, I was taking walks and doing all the things. So the weight really dropped, really dropped. And I got, I had pre-starting fasting in 2019. I was probably up to like 180 pounds. Okay. And by the fall of 2020, I was probably like 140 again, which, and now I'm not sure where my set point is at because that school year started and I really didn't want to go back. I did not want to go back full time. Our state was, we had, I think the school district wanted to stay online, but our parents were so vocal about having us go back in person. And that was traumatic for me. I remember watching the news at that time in the summer before that school year started. There were people picketing at the Capitol building downtown Salt Lake City. And there were signs that said, teachers immunities were made for COVID. And I just felt like we were being thrown to the wolves. It was such sort a scary speak. time. Yeah. So scary. And so much I don't unknown. Feel that way now. Right. But so much we didn't know. And yes. yeah, you felt like maybe a political pawn. Yes. Yeah, it was just, and it was I, hard. Just, we didn't know. Yeah. No, no. And so I really struggled to go back to school. And what I now learn, and this is the main reason I wanted to come on your show. You always ask that question at the end, you know, what would you want people to learn? I had no idea until that moment that I was still really suffering mentally from all the things that I had went through. And I reverted even though I was fasting still, and even though I fasted for, I've now fasted for almost four years, I reverted back to the emotional eating and I had no idea how much it was impacting everything. And then I spent the next year and I gained almost all of it back because I just allowed the emotional eating to take over yeah. and I had no idea and I did the things like you and Melanie talked about. I think it's the yoga of eating or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I didn't get into that book. I, that was not ever one. I tried. She's like, oh, I was like, oh, she loves it. Let me read it. I was like, nope. I tried. <laughs> Donate. No, I didn't do anything. <laughs> no. And then there was the one about the pig. Something about the yeah. Your, nope. One of the it's either never binge again or yes. brain over binge. I can't uh, keep straight. The one written by the man is the one that some people love. That one, Glenn Livingston is the I think the name of the author. Yes. Some people love it and it clicks with them, and some people are like, "No way, this is not for me." <laughs> no, yeah, because I not didn't for realize you. at that point how deep I was into emotional eating. So now I've I've taken this past school year to really lean into that and figure that out. And fasting has been 
I've been able to fast and still figure out. And so I think, honest to God, I so appreciate you so much because I think fasting has actually saved me in terms of that. It's allowed me to still give myself, my body to rest and to learn how to eat intuitively, but also to help me to heal my emotional eating issues. Well, it's it's not easy and they're deep and they go way back and emotional eating also has that biological part to it or we wouldn't all be, you know, yeah. likely to do it when we're under stress. But yeah. you know, fast if we think about it like this, let's say someone is an emotional eater, is it better to be an emotional eater from sunup to sunrise or just in an eating window? Well, obviously, we know it would be better to ha- have it just in an eating window. So right. fasting can just structure it that much. You might not lose a ton of weight but while you're working through that part, but or you might gain weight even if you had been you know, dieting yep. before. Now you're emotionally eating in your eating window. But still, emotionally eating in an eating window is going to be better than emotionally eating all day. Right. Right. And I shudder to think like I probably would be over 200 pounds at this point if I didn't have fasting or I might've had a heart attack or whatever. I should have, I meant to find it before I I got on here, but I recently had all my levels checked. And even though I've put on a few of the pounds that I have lost, I've lost probably 10 pounds since the school year started because I've really have been practicing recognizing the emotional eating and then figuring out how to move past it and all the things. My fasting level was super low and my cholesterol is great and all of the things. So I know that it's working really well for me, even if I had put on a few pounds. Yep. So you, you are still struggling with the emotional eating though. A little bit. Yeah. Like this morning, I knew I was a little nervous to start this, but I knew that I wanted to, because I'm also a binge eater a little bit. Right. And I knew I wanted to eat even though, but I was able to sit with it and think about it and recognize that, oh, that's just because I'm nervous because I'm going on the podcast. It's not because of anything life or death. I'm, I will be fine. You know, if so you I don't pushed through eat. those moments and you didn't do yes. it. Yes. And I know that always feels like such a victory. It does. It does. It does. And then it gives me power the next time I need to do that, you know? And then that's also helped me in other areas of my life too, to know that I could push through and be stronger than I, than I thought. The delay is not just for your eating window. No, we can delay a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It's a life mantra. (laughs) It is. It is. It totally is. Well, I'm glad that that helped this morning because really I get it. You know, sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, I could just start eating now. And I'm like, why would I do that? (laughs) And then I don't. Yeah. I, I feel so much better when I fast. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've had so many, you know, non-scale victories. Well, tell us about some of those non-scale victories. Holy cow, where to begin? I had gotten off of antidepressant medication. That's huge. Maybe like nine months into the fast because I just have such energy and I get such a natural high from it. I've never taken any sort of illegal drug, but I can't imagine that this would that they would be better than this because the feeling of just clarity that we get. Yeah. Clarity. No more. The forced menopause really produced a lot of brain fog and memory and cognitive issues. And the fasting completely reversed all of that. Even though I am almost 47, I feel like my skin doesn't necessarily look it. I don't feel like I look like I'm almost 50. So that's... You do not. Everyone's just going to have to take my word for it. She does not. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) You know, some of like kindergartners at school might think I'm really old. Well, they might think we're 80. They don't know. (laughs) Everybody. 
I know that I've, I'm not a good sleeper and I never was a good sleeper, but I don't need as much sleep anymore. The fasting, I mean, I could just get like five hours of sleep a night and I would be totally fine and I could handle it. Jet lag is so much easier to get over. Oh my goodness. That's so much easier. I last year I was an administrative intern for my school district. So they paid me full time to be an administrative intern. But at the same time I did my second master's at Utah State University and I did it in 12 months (gasps) while being an assistant principal and I privately tutored after school and I was totally fine. Yeah. I, I just was fine because of the fasting. The fasting just let me have all the energy I could possibly need to do that. That's exactly so that's right. Yeah. Huge. Even though I'm now, I'm like 165 pounds right now. Before when I was 165 pounds, I would have been a size 14, 16, and now I'm a 10, 12. I mean, so that's body composition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so those are just some of the major ones. I have so much more confidence. That's a huge one. And I know when I was thinking about that, I've been doing this for four, almost four years. I've never done any diet and I don't think of this as a diet. I've never done anything like that for this long. It's my superpower. That's the thing. That's how you know you will never stop doing it because it just feels so good. And even when you have overeating times, like I I was telling about my friends that were visiting, there were five of us and we ate out the whole time they were here and we ate more. I was really full, but we we didn't eat till later in the day. The earliest we started eating was 2.30, one of the days. Okay. And we we delayed till 2.30 and that day we went to two restaurants. We went to 2.30 and then we were in another one at 7.30 and... (laughs) That's my kind of vacation. Well, the first <laughs> restaurant, we just had appetizers and drinks. They oh, have yeah. brunch. Yeah, so we, yeah, we didn't yeah. have like a meal. So then we're like, all right, let's go have a meal. I was too full. I just ate like a few bites of my meal and I was stuffed. But <laughs> that was enough. Yeah. But, you it's know, happened. we're still doing, you know, even the longest window I had was not that long, like eight hours. Yes. Right. Was it. And still fasting. So you can take that with you. And it does feel like a superpower. Like when my friends got there, not all of us do intermittent fasting. Three of us do and two of them don't. Although one of them kind of does just accidentally. But I was like, look, you do not have to wait to eat till you see me eating. (laughs) (laughs) You can eat at any time if you want to. But I don't need to and it's okay. It does feel like a superpower. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what does your typical schedule look like now? During the work week, I will open my eating window. I usually, because of my job description, I attend all of the IEP meetings for the resource, our special education students, and those usually start at 3.40. So I'll quickly run. The bell rings at 3.35, kids go home, and I'll quickly run and get my coffee, and I'll make a cup of coffee and then bring that with me to the, the IEP meeting. And so then that opens my eating window. And then I usually eat until... Seven okay. o'clock, seven thirty. So I'm about a four hour. I usually do a twenty hour fast and a four hour eating window. That's my average Monday through Friday. And then Saturday, I might open my eating window at two or at noon, depending on what's going on. And then again, close it around seven. I could do like an eighteen six or something like that. And then Sundays, I don't require myself to fast. Although I do like a thirteen hour fast, a twelve thirteen hour fast. Friday night into Sunday. And then, but I also don't binge on Sundays either. I, it's just a relaxed day. I really, you yeah. would probably say that the binging probably is in response to a lot of stresses uh-huh. in 100%. your life. And so the life of an assistant principal, we were kind of talking about this before the show and you, you don't have to say it. I'll say it. <laughs> I thought about being an administrator <laughs> for a while because that's the natural progression. If you're good at your job, if yeah. you're good at your job, you people, co-workers start saying, you should be an assistant principal. Yeah. And then your administrators start saying, you should be in leadership. And then they start pushing you towards it. And you just assume that's what you should do. So I went through all the thinking that's what I was going to do. And then one year applied. Finally, when I had all my ducks in a row, well, I didn't get chosen that year. Oh. And I was like, really like, oh, no. But then after I didn't get chosen, I started really watching the assistant principals and thinking, do I... Then I realized they work a lot harder and and like have so much more stress. Classroom teaching is hard. Being an assistant principal, different kind of hard. Yes. Because you're dealing with the parents that are uber upset after they've passed through the classroom level of upset. Now they're Mm -hmm. extra upset. They're saying words like lawyers and (laughs) suing you. And, and, you know, you really have to put on then that you're having to deal with problems between teachers and other teachers and children doing the crazy things that, and so, Mm -hmm. you know, the level of things that y'all have to deal with, it's just so stressful. So I get it. We had like in our school system one year, we had like, I don't know, five or six elementary assistant principals went back to the classroom at the same time. I'd never seen that before. I'm like, well, there you go right there. That's a sign. So I can understand why Sunday you don't feel like you have to (laughs) emotionally eat because you're at home. (laughs) Right, right. But during right, the school yeah. year, I could just imagine. So hats off to administrators because oh, wow. if something bad happens, you're dealing with it. We deal with it. Yep. You see it nobody all. tells you, yes, exactly what you're going to see. So No, and it is heartbreaking. You see heartbreaking things that make you just you do. lose it. Sometimes I'll want to binge eat and I'll sit with it and I'll realize, oh, it's because of something traumatic that I witnessed or somebody told me or I was worried about this family or something like that. Because we get to get behind the curtain of those families is a, in a way that you don't as a classroom teacher as well. So 
just mm-hmm. know that a lot mm-hmm. of teachers know how hard your job is. Oh, I know. And I love I, I love our teachers. There's so. so many great parts to your job too. So, But I understand yeah. the stress oh, yeah. for it. So other than having emotional eating, is there anything else that you struggle with? I think now that I'm on the other side of menopause, I know I'm pretty sure I am because I don't have the hot flashes even with the bioidentical. I'm not having that anymore. So I think now I think that's where I do struggle with my weight. And even now I don't lose it as fast. I'm down to like losing two tenths of a pound a week when I get on a good where before I could have lost a half a pound to a pound a week. And now I go, oh, that's a no. So I do have to, I try to up my protein. And so I have to be a little bit more careful. I do not metabolize alcohol at all anymore. Oh man, it's terrible. I get so that. Sad. No, I do. I've, I'm so much more mindful of it because you know, I've got two of my friends barely drink now. And then two of them could like drink you under the table and they're just fine. Like they metabolize alcohol, like the way the rest of us drink water. I mean, they literally don't ever show it. And then there's me in the middle. I don't metabolize it well, but I was really good at stopping every day while they were here. I was proud of myself. (laughs) Utah, I tried to get dry farms wine and I totally forgot. Oh, you can't get it in Utah. We live in such a religious state. Yeah. You can't have. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't mind trying it. That would be fun. The hack for you, I mean, it's not the same, but it, when you get like, like try to get French wines. Yes. You know, right. if, you, if yeah, I can't yeah, have yes. dry farm, yeah. I'm trying to get something that's French or yes. you know, the American yeah. wines. No, the, no American wine is going to not have a bunch of junk in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say, I mean, I'm sure there's some American wine that doesn't, but I, you know, I haven't found one. <laughs> well, and our state liquor stores are not the most progressive. So yeah. I can imagine. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> We leave the state and I get to have a drink somewhere and I get excited because, yeah, you can have some different options. But I also find that even just regular sugar, I have the same effect as alcohol. So I really have Keeps you from sleeping. It does. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, you know, when that's the thing, you know, I don't want to have a really bad night's sleep. So I don't want to have a lot of sugar and I don't want to have too much alcohol because I would like to sleep well. Yeah. But at the same time, it's okay. I think... I've tried alternate day fasting. I think if I wasn't married, I could do it in a second, not even 100, not even a problem whatsoever. But having a husband who likes to eat, that's hard. Hubby wants dinner. Hubby wants dinner. Yeah. Or hubby, we want to share the experience. You that's know. true. But you know, you could have the 500 calorie down day. I've done that. Have you yeah. done that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if I were to do alternate daily fast fasting consistently, I would definitely do the 500 calorie. I do fine with it. I'm not one of those people that finds I have to eat and, you know, and eat and eat. I'm good. Well, Sean in the Delay Don't Deny community, she always shares what she's doing for her down days. I've talked about her before on the podcast because she shares so beautifully in the community, but she will share, this is what I'm making for my family and here's how I'm going to modify it to be 500 calories for me. Oh, I haven't done that. Yeah. I should do that. That's how she makes it work because she's got a family that she's feeding all the time. But she's like, they're going to have, you know, this and I'm going to modify it by having mine on lettuce instead of on a bun. And I'm not going to use mm. cheese and, you know, that sort of thing. But so oh, it's like could, they're having the same thing. Yeah, just something to think about. And again, that's yeah. something that we know in the community because <laughs> plug for the community right there. I'm terrible. I'm in the community, but you wouldn't know it because I never, ever do anything. Well, come on in. <laughs> You're busy also. That life as an administrator. That's a great idea. 
Yeah. But that's just a tip that I wouldn't probably have thought of because, you know, I'm always cooking the same thing for Chad and for me. And then Will was living at home. We all ate the exact same thing, but there's a way to modify it to get that 500 calorie down day. But if you're not called to do it, don't do it. It's just if you feel like you'd like to. I struggled with the the following day because I kind of wanted to binge. Yeah. So that was my only concern. But I think I heard you say recently on somebody else's that if you, because I do the daily average, I'm a daily average wearer. That's dangerous when I stop. And you had said something about that day, like do it a little bit differently. I can't remember what you had said about that, but you had given a good idea. Was it me telling someone to do a downish, uppish? Was that what it was? Yeah, um, yeah. I think so. Like instead of yeah. having a 500 calorie or full fast down day, just have maybe a one hour window. It's not technically a down day because you have more than 500 calories. And then the next day, just have it be a little uppish. Like just alternate one to two hours one day, then maybe six the next. And so that gives you a little gentle up and down without really being down and up. Yes, because I do find the binge mentality can come back really quick. I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. I see how that could happen. But there's a lot of ways to make it work and, you know, a lot of ways to tweak it till it's easy and it feels good for you. You know, I know you like your longer days on Sundays, but that would be one place you could tweak a little. (laughs) Instead of tracking your fast, maybe keep that Sunday eating window to like six hours. That's a good idea. You yeah, know, that's a really it doesn't good matter idea. what time you open, just try to keep it to six. Yeah. See about that. You might want to open early, but then just maybe not just something to consider. But if you're losing 0.2 a week and it's steady and you're loving the lifestyle, there's no reason to change it. Right, 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 right. But if something were to happen, I, yeah, that's I love one it. I thing. have all these tools. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. There's always something. And sometimes we do have to delay things for a season, right? delay having slightly longer Sundays for like a couple months. Right. And that's where I struggle on the other side of menopause. I don't know what my set weight is. I don't, I have no idea. I'm not sure. I yeah, don't know if it's you've 140. Been up and down. I don't know if it's 160. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, your body okay. will do what it does. Yeah. My best advice is find a lifestyle you love with intermittent fasting and then let your body decide the weight that goes with it, honestly, with no stress or expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, I know, sometimes. But <laughs> yeah, we're a little, us teachers are type A hard on ourselves. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, we are almost out of time. So I know you kind of mentioned it before, but what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Don't read between the lines and think you can do a dirty fast. <laughs> uh, you have to do a clean fast. Clean fast is the key. My husband does a fast quote. Yeah, he he doesn't eat until eleven, but he dirty fast. But he Uh, thinks he doesn't. So anyway, yeah, clean fast. But then, really, anybody that's struggling with the binge eating and emotionally having a hard time, don't just not get help. There's so many things that you can do to get help for that. It took me three years of this until I figured out that I really needed more help with it. So whether that's a therapist or don't assume fasting is going to, quote, fix it, right? Fasting addresses a lot of things, but it doesn't fix the things it doesn't solve, right? right? If your problem is insulin that's too high, fasting is great for that. If your problem is, you know, you know, whatever else that fasting addresses, but having emotional eating or binge eating has deeper roots. Maybe yes, fasting exactly. will be the thing that flips that switch, but it might not be. Right, right. And, and hopefully, like me, you can use it as a as a tool to help you flip it 
and to protect your body, but still, you know, put yourself first and figure out how to get help. Exactly. And there's help out there. And don't try to do it by yourself. Like you just said, therapy, you found a therapist that's helping you with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. But even during COVID, I was on this group, support work group for people that were having grief and loss. And so I, I still am a part of that. So there's lots of even things online that you can do that are free. And if you're willing and, and willing to be open to that. I think that's great because just don't be afraid to ask for help because so often, especially those of us that like to just get it done, we're like, I don't need any help. I don't need any help because asking uh-huh. for help is like saying that you're weak. Right. Yes. As women, we are supposed to take care of everybody else and we're, we're not great at taking care of ourselves, but put yourself first. But we need to put on our own oxygen mask first. Yes. Yeah. And don't give up on fasting because it can still help you even if you still struggle with other mental issues. I love that. And that's exactly right. Well, Veronica, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure that people are going to get lots of nuggets out of it today. Oh, thank you so much. This has just been such a joy. And you I just can't thank you enough for how many people you've helped. Well, thank you. And say hello to Mikkel for me. <gasps> I will. That's so awesome. <laughs> I love that. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder... Had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.